podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A fabulous free kick from Leighton Baines. Dearson, hey, what a finish from Ben Dearson. It's 2 0. It's scored by Tim Cahill in injury time for Everton. Matheson, the 16 year old, to Wilbraham, the 40 year old, stunning from Hamis Rodriguez. Hello everyone and welcome to uh, the March 2022 edition of the Men in Blue podcast. Uh, bit of a different one this month. Uh, my name is Matt, I'm going to host this month to give Greg a bit of a break. Um, he is with us, um, if everyone wants to say hello. We've got Jim and we've got Greg as always, how are we lads? All good, yeah, can't complain. Dale uh, here, there and everywhere, win, loss, draw, win, loss, draw. It's like a bit of a lottery, but yeah, can't complain. Excellent, how are you Jim, you alright? I am absolutely fine. Well, better now than I was about ten o'clock Friday night when um, I had a damn near asthma attack. But we'll go into that later. Um, yeah, can't complain. I've been to three games in my last couple of days and seen home wins in each of them. So I've had worse times. And so, well, you know, at least I haven't got to watch Everton. So that's all right as well. Excellent stuff. And we are joined uh, once again by by Deck. Oh, you Deck? You're right. Uh, yeah, all good. I feel like I'm uh, maybe not date trashing as much as I was the first couple. Feel a bit more like a regular now, but um, all good. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, uh, good as, as Jimmy just said. Deck, this is your third appearance on the pod. Um, it will be, yeah, yeah, three consecutives. I'll uh, I'll claim Squatters right. Yeah, we'll get we we'll get you a ball. Squatters right. Squatters right. I'm neighbour in stand after him next. It's slowly transitioning into the Men in White podcast, which may be a very different thing. We can't. We can't have that. Investigated. Yeah, there you go. I, I somehow don't see Spotify Apple being already, too sorry. pleased with that title. Let's wait and see. Uh, so we're going to start this week off uh, actually talking about Rochdale. We tend to go Everton first. Uh, I'll be honest, myself and Jimmy have already agreed we don't want to talk about Everton too much because yeah, it's too shit. Yeah, that's in layman's terms, just the best way of putting it. So, Greg, I can't remember the last time we did the podcast. If I'm honest with you, but it's been a bit up and down from what I gather. Um, Still, kind of here, there, around that sort of lower mid table. Um, talk us through what it's been like the past few weeks. We've been we've been a bit all over the place. We've had we had a good win against Northampton at home, which was one nil, and we actually played quite well from what I what I saw on the eye follow. We played really well, and it, it, we seem to have this weird pattern that I think we did it a few few seasons ago, where we can play against the top six teams, or we can uh, get results against them. And then the ones that are around us, they just mop the floor with us. That are like in the bottom eight with us, just we can't seem to beat them. Um, so after Northampton, we got beat by Carlisle two nil. Then we got beat by Sutton United three nil, and then we drew with Barrow nil nil, and then we drew one all last night with Salford. <clears throat> I managed to watch the first half of the Dale Salford game, and I thought we played all right actually. I mean, everyone's like complaining on Twitter and it's getting a little bit toxic with why can't we win and it's boring and it, oh, it's like falling asleep and things like that. But I thought we played all right the first half. We were 1-0 up, um, showing a little bit more endeavour. We've got this lad from the non-leagues called James Ball, but I can't remember where we got him from. I'll have to have a look in a minute. I don't think it's Solihull somewhere. I can't remember in the non-leagues, but he's just, he's, he's just full of beans and... 
there. I think it was Matty Lund, oddly enough, of all players for Salford. I think he did a back pass to one of his own players and he just latched onto it, kept running with it and bang, put it in. And it's just, we haven't really had that this season. We haven't really had anybody who's really, what's the word, looks that interested. I know that's like sort of slagging the players off a little bit, but there's a lot of them that just, they're just sort of turning up and it's a bit like what Roy Keane says about, I know it's not exactly the same because it's that's Man United, but Roy Keane's been about, well, some of them don't look interested in things like that. I think you can get it in all divisions, really. Um, some of our lot look a bit disinterested, but um, they're all roughly young-ish players. We haven't really got a lot of experience this year, so maybe that's what it is. Maybe we haven't got a lot of leaders like we used to do in the past. That's something we mentioned I think it was in the podcast with Danny about we haven't got like Henderson, we haven't got Wilbraham, we haven't got these older heads. It's always like the young ones sort of looking at each other a little bit. So, I mean, one all, it is what it is really. It's, it's, it's not like the previous results where I was a bit gutted that we got beat by Sutton United 3-0. And I know we've been talking about Teams that are coming up from the conference that are better equipped to League Two. So obviously we've seen um, they they went on a decent run at one point. Sutton, I think they were halfway up there anyway at one point. And like you look at Forest Green, they're set up for League Two. They're top of the top of the league, aren't they? But it's like I think we just get we get found out by some of these teams that have come up from the conference, and they just I don't know if they just they've, they've just done the homework very well. I can't work it out really if they just sussed everybody out and they know how we play or Mansfield or Tramway or whoever. But there's a lot of them in this division that we spoke about before that are just really suited to League Two, and there's not many of them that are struggling. I mean, the only one looking at the league is maybe Barrow are struggling that are you could say are not really a traditional League Two side. You know, they've come up from the conference, but you look at Harrogate up there. Well, I say up there, they're higher than up than we are anyway. I suppose everybody's higher than we are. Um, Sutton are there and Forest Green. So, yeah, it's just been a real mixed bag at the minute. It's um, just, you don't really know what you're going to get each week, which is a bit, obviously, inconsistency, things like that. But I, th- I think we're nine points clear from the drop. So, on face value, are we worrying too much, possibly? I was just saying that you're nine points clear of uh, of Oldham. Eleven games to go. I think at this point, I think you're safe enough from relegation, unless it would take a pretty horrendous run of form, and the likes of Oldham coming through. And um, I mean, Scunthorpe are pretty much gone. Let's be honest. What are they? Ten points from safety with extra yeah. games played as well. Um, I mean, I'll bring the likes of Deck and Jim on this because, like you say, you guys probably well, you definitely watch more um, League Two football than I, I absolutely do. Um, is it one of those situations of, again, I, I, Greg said, are they just worrying a little bit too much? Um, is there a genuine concern that they could drop that feather down or have they got too much good about them that they actually probably could and would stick around that lower mid-table? Go on, Deck. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think to be fair, um, I, I kind of be expecting to rot, for Rochdale over the, the last, what have you got left there, about nine games, ten games. I'd expect them probably to pull clear to about 15th, 16th. Um, I think Harrogate will struggle judging on what we kind of saw last night I think they will probably struggle a little bit and I think they'll probably te- they had a really good start to the season and they've tailed off but I think they will kind of continue to drop they won't you know they're not going to go down or anything like that but I'd expect them to finish around the 18th 19th mark um, Walsall are hitting a little bit of form Crawley 
Um, they've they've lost quite a few. Bradford could go one of two ways, obviously under under their new um, management team. Um, they've picked up a couple of wins, but again, they're very inconsistent. So there's enough teams in and around that kind of pack between kind of mid-table and bottom third, really, for, for Rochdale to pull away. But um, just on, on points value there, Rochdale on, are currently on 35 games played and 40 points. Um, and obviously you've got the likes of Stephen, it's just outside the drop zone there, six points below. Um but haven't played two more games as well. So Rochdale have got at least one game, if not two games on hand, and you know a, a lot of teams around them. I, I don't see there being any kind of problem there. It would take a very bizarre um, turn, turn of fortune for, for any kind of drop. So, yeah, I'd, I'd be bracing yourself for a, a pretty mundane end to the season, but a, a safe one. Yeah, so I look at the great. I mean, look at the stats. I mean, you, Rochdale's a problem. doesn't really seem to be losing games. 11 games lost in the season. You're on average, but you know, Swindon have lost 10, and they're in the top six. If for you, it's really looking like it's just converting draws into wins, or you know, having those games where you've had big uh, sports last season in particular, where there's a lot of games where it was high-scoring draws. Is it just a lack of a bit of bit of quality up front? If, if one of those games where you just think a bit more needs to be given, um, get a late goal, and you never know, or that kind of stuff. I mean, I can see one, Jim. You give you two cents. No, it's all right. No, you smell like a quality up front. And, I mean, to an extent, I mean, I can't say I've watched all that much of Rochdale apart from the two games against Tramia this season. When you look against the sides around them, um, I'm talking about below them, really. Only Leighton Orient have scored more goals. You know, Rochdale have scored 40 and Orient have scored 43. Otherwise, you're looking at Carlisle, 31, Colchester, 36, Barrow, 32, you know, Stevenage, 33, Oldham, 35, and Scunthorpe, well, where they're going, aren't they? Let's be honest, 25. So I I think, it, I suppose maybe it will be a case of, because I know you battered Newport, didn't you, in one of those real like outlier results? Is it a case of maybe that you're finding, you're, you're scoring a glut of goals in games, like a bit like you were last season when you score like four and draw four, four, five, five, whatever. And then when you maybe need to just nick one in a, in a tight nil-nil game or a one-one game, you're thinking, oh, where's that extra goal? Is it, not so much how many goals you're scoring, it's where the goals are actually being scored. You might score four in one game comfortably and then dry up in a a nil-nil draw, you know, or a one-one draw or what have you. I, I mean, I can't say I particularly know all that much, but on the points of looking at the actual relegation battle, I don't think you're really in it. I mean, credit to Carlisle under Paul Simpson, an ex-Rochdale player, of course, you know. Um, he's really taken a club that looked doomed at one point and is shot them right up the um, relegation places. And I do think Oldham with the games in hand might stay up. I mean, I think Scunthorpe, obviously, I think we're, we're all agreed to going. And I'd say really it's between Barrow and Stevenage. I wouldn't rule out Leighton Orient, but that's going to be a horrible last game of the season if Tramley have to go to Leighton Orient to get something. And Leighton Orient have to win to stay up. That's going to be a horrible last game. But yeah, sorry to go back to the original question, Dax. Do you reckon it's been a case of scoring lots of goals in, in bulk and then nothing else to distribute the goals up around the games when you've really needed to. Yeah, I think um I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Jimmy. I think just looking briefly on at the at the table, if you look at us in fourth, obviously Tranmere in fourth, we've won eighteen, lost eleven, drawn eight. Um Rochdale have won eight, drawn sixteen, lost eleven. So we're on the same games lost. It is, as you say, converting those draws to wins and that that's kind of just from an external point of view seems to have been kind of Rochdale's um, 
like demise this season really but again it shows um, strong foundations that to kind of build upon next season that you know you've obviously got a relatively strong um, defensive setup in order to to hold out that many draws and obviously a very uh, you know small number of defeats it is just improving in that kind of attack and play when we saw them play at Prenton Park um, you know Rochdale kind of they looked after the ball at all the right kind of ideas the right kind of build up play but it is just that like lacking a little bit in the in the last third I'd say it's one of those it, I think it's basically I think it's we are inconsistent and I think that's all it is because if you look at like last season I think we went six months without winning at home and then we went, I think it was 400 minutes without scoring and things like that. I think I might be going over all ground a little bit in previous podcast episodes, but none of that seems to be an issue in terms of we haven't scored in 200 hours even, or we haven't scored, in, we haven't won in six months and things like that. I think we haven't lost a game at home in 12 home games. I think there's a lot of draws in there, admittedly. Um, so there are these weird statistics that just keep like, that me and the lads just sort of noticed last night. He said, "When was the last time we lost at home?" And he's like, "Eh, October." So like, yes, there is a lot of draws in there, and that's that's the only problem. And I suppose like, like my dad having a bit of a moan about it last night on a text. He's like, "Yeah, but it's it's so many points lost, you know, out of all those draws and things like that." It's like, "Yeah, I suppose so," but I suppose if you are inconsistent, <clears throat> you just need to be picking picking them up now and again. You just need to be getting the one nil. Or like we did with Northampton a few weeks ago, you just you do need that to get you out of the muck and the mire, really. I mean, he had, we have nicked a few, just one nil, and obviously we, we actually played well that game. But I think there's another one. Um, Scunthorpe was a bit of a tight affair. Like they were, they were desperate to get something, and we managed to beat them. So there are obviously there's obviously we are winning a few games and we've, we've drawn a few. It's just. I think sometimes it takes like fans from other teams from the outside to look in and tell you these things. So it's like I was talking to a lad at work today and he's like, nine points clear. He said it could be worse. You could be like nine points in the drop. I was like, oh yeah. But you never really see the positive sometimes when you're inconsistent. And I think that's for any fan that could be Everton, United, Tranmere, Bury, whoever. If you, if you are inconsistent, you just sometimes, that's all you can see and it can be tunnel vision a little bit. And as you don't you don't see these things like that Deck and Jim and Matt have uh, pointed out, and there is like a lot of toxic fans on Twitter. A lot of oh we're terrible. Oh why can't we just beat um, Sutton and things like that? But we're in League Two for a reason, and that's not any disrespect to anybody else. We have been relegated for a reason because we weren't good enough to stay in League One. So I don't know. We shouldn't really be talking of any like entitlement to beat anybody in League Two really when you look at it. But I mean, I'm not saying Dale fans are like that, but I think there's a there's a there's quite a big chunk of them that are like, oh, we should be beating Barrow and Sutton and things like that, but we're in the same division as them, so I, I don't know, you know, go for it, Jim. I think a big thing you can take away. Obviously, it's been discussed on the pod before about all the stuff that's gone on behind the scenes, but I think on the pitch, the big thing you can take forward to next season is, and I think this has been established at times, is how young the squad is you've got at the moment. You've said in the past how you've not had the established heads, whereas obviously Rovers, the other night, you've had like a Joe Murphy, Peter Clark, Jay Spearings, you've come back, Callum McManaman. You know, Rochdale haven't necessarily got the experienced players in the side. They've got a lot of young lads that come from either academies or non-league and whatnot. And if you can keep a core of those players together and 
developed. They've already had at least a full season, if not more, in League Two, grinding out draws, dealing with the, the sort of day-to-day um, battles of, of, of professional football. With them being a bit more battle-hardened and a bit more tactically astute under Stockdale next season, I can definitely see you've got a lot of room for improvement in a league where, I don't know how true this is, but it feels like every side's got their their veterans along the spine, shall we say. Every team, including ourselves, you know, we've had two 40-year-olds, played 90 minutes last night. I mean, you know, that says it all. Um, a lot of sides have a lot of older players, like Harrogate last night had um, Roy McCarthy at the back. And Leon Leg and on the bench, who I honestly thought had retired. You know, so there's guys kind of players you're thinking, yeah, McCardle's still playing. Can you believe that? Now, ex Rochdale, yeah, yeah. And um, whereas yourselves, you've got such a young side, and I think that can work into your advantage in the season next season. Obviously, providing you stay up in the league, which I think you will. Because whereas some of the older guard will be going, or their legs will be going, or they'll be retiring, or whatever you'll be able to keep your core of players together so that they can develop as a team. And you've seen before now, our teams have had fairly average seasons in League Two and then gone on and like done like Cheltenham did or Cambridge and have gone on and just like been amazing the next season. And there's been no rhyme or reason other than they've just developed as a squad under a manager that knows the players. So there is optimism going forward. I think always this season was going to be consolidation for you, given how, like at times, how poor they were with the lack of home wins and the lack of goals and then the glut of goals but you also conceded about five goals a game this season was never likely to be an instant return given how well just how insane your season was last season really on the pitch and off it to be honest is it more important now i think with the uh, you think of this season a, a case of you know what we're safe we're okay let's try and get the off the field issues sorted over the over the uh, over the summer start again uh, next season and push for I mean you tell me what was your goals be for next season is it always going to be promotion or is it going to be maybe getting to that top half and see if we can get to the playoffs I mean I'd, I'd probably say top half and then realistically could could try for top 10 it's difficult to know I know we, we, we've given this question to guests before and things like that but it is difficult to try and look through the crystal ball a little bit but I think we've made some signings in January that are, I think we've got one eye on them for next season, like Luke Charman. We had uh, Chris Jackson on, we were talking about Darlington a few months ago, and like we've we've signed their top goal scorer, but because he's semi-pro, he hasn't quite hit the ground running just yet because um, there's something about match fitness not quite there because it's not playing as much, not training as much, things like that. But I think there is one eye on him for next season in terms of give him, uh, giving these minutes here and there, just drop him in at the odd game. But he's not quite playing every week just yet because um, I think he had a full-time job and he was playing for Darlington, if that makes any sense, things like that. So I think it is a bit of a... It can be a bit of a... a, like a difference, I suppose, playing in League Two. Um, if you just have a little look as well at the um, the lead one table at the minute, I'm just having a look at, at the teams there that could potentially drop in terms of trying to you know predict the future for for next year for Dale and you know if things don't go to plan for us then potentially for us. If you look at so they're bottom four at the minute, you've got Gillingham, Morecambe, Doncaster, and Crewe. So out of those four, you would probably expect Doncaster to to be challenging potentially. They're a big club to be to be in League Two. 
Um, for me, True, I've got mid-table, if not worse, written all over. I think they're a team that have they've got a good kind of core and they're quite a well-managed club, but they've they've yo-yoed quite a lot. Um, and I, I can't see them doing anything next year. Morecambe, I think they were obviously the Beatles in the playoffs, but I think they they kind of went up off the the back of um, a very good season for Cole Stockton and a couple of other players who really kind of overachieved in, a, in what was realistically a poor season. Um, and Gillingham again, will will they be pushing? Probably not. Maybe top ten. So in terms of it, um, that's assuming that they're the four that drop. But if you look at that quality down the bottom end of lead one. Realistically, three out of the four, possibly four out of the four, are League Two sides at heart. Um, so you know you've you've not got you know a, a Lincoln or whatnot at the minute who would who would drop them back in who you would kind of go right they'll probably look to go straight back up or you know looking a little bit further up you know towards your Shrewsbury's Charlton's and so on. You know you you more established League One side. So next year potentially League Two. Not saying it'll be an easy year. Um, obviously with uh, the the National League you've got Stockport who who look like they're they're very much on a rampage um, at the minute. Um, I was I was chatting to to Clint Hill earlier on in the week, and he was saying that um, you know they're not not confident in in you know that it, it's wrapped up in one. I think they've got one eye on on Wrexham, um, but I, I think they they will come up. I think they will win the league. Um, and then you know you look at the quality coming up. All right, Wrexham may do it. Chesterfield coming back, so you've got you've got some well-established sides there, but no one who you would expect to kind of set the set the world on fire. Um, so hopefully next season will be a, a better league for yourselves and possibly for us. Well, it's looking like League Two could be the place to be next season because if Stockport and Wrexham come up, and then if Crew, Doncaster, Morecambe, and Fleetwood go down. I don't want to go up. That's some great local away days there. I don't know if anyone remembers, like, in League One, it happened a few years ago where it was basically just the Northern League. It was just the Northwest League. Do you remember that deck? You had, like, Tranmere, Bury, Rochdale, Bradford, Sheffield, yeah. one of the Sheffield teams. It was just ridiculous. Sheffington, Stanley, Bolton. Every away game was about and remember, like, quid, all in. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I can't remember how long ago that was, but it definitely Rochdale and Tramier are in the same division. Well, that, I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah, and then randomly like Southampton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or Plymouth or something, league, something like that. 10, it was like, like a, a really, yeah, it was. It, that was a great year. That was a good year. Something the next, isn't it? It's the way it is. But um, I, I take on board what you're saying in terms of sides going down. I think Crew are in free fall anyway. The way they've been on the pitch this season's awful. Doncaster have been dreadful as well. I mean, it depends how they rebuild, but. Perfectly honest, you're looking at Crew and Doncaster. If they carry on their form from this year into the next, they're both going to be a bit like we were, a bit like Scunthorpe are. Uh, Morecambe, it's a funny one really because they're a bit like when Dagenham win League One. It's like, oh, you've done really well. But if you go down, it's like you're not coming back up because you in the nicest way, yeah, it's a level above where you should really be maxing out a club of that size. I mean, they've done it, like I say, they've done amazingly. I don't mean disrespect to Morecambe, but were they really ever going to challenge for mid-table or above in, in League in League One? If I hadn't ever called Stockton, they probably would have gone down by now. I mean, they conceded 75 goals in the league in 38 games. The only reason they're any good is because they've scored 46, which I guarantee Stockton scored about 45, hasn't he? Um, it feels like anyway. And then, yeah, I mean, it's much for much to see Gillingham, who Neil Harris has um, taken them on. You know, the uh, footballer, not the um, big, not the um, Harmony mother actor. 
Um, Neil Harris has taken them on and um, done pretty well actually with the with them and he's he's guided them out of the mire a bit. They're still in the bottom four, but they're on level on points with Wimbledon and Fleetwood. And to be perfectly honest, out of those three now, it's you know as Depp will know, put a dart in one and just see pick one to go down. Lesser the Wimbledon's are always down there. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll get to darts in a minute. We'll What's that? You want Wimbledon going down, do you? Sorry, Wimbledon are always there. Wimbledon are always there. When we were oh, struggling, they're always, are, yeah, yeah. They're they always in the bottom down. six. They're always in the bottom six or seven in League One. Oh yeah. Like when we were struggling, they were always there with us. Like I don't remember Wimbledon ever coming up. I think they just they just kind of like appeared in the bottom six of League One a couple of years ago, and that's it. It's a conspiracy theory. I don't think they've actually ever been promoted yeah. in my life. They just they just appeared one day. So, from the bottom of League 1 to the top of League 2, uh, I'm going to use the fact that we've got Deck and Jimmy, who, let's face it these days, is more of a Tramio fan than an Everson fan, understandably so. Is it is it promotion? Are we back in League 1? Or is it going to be playoffs? Are we, have we got a Wembley trip on the cards? Or is it all going to end in tears? Now, looking, looking at the results, it was a bad run of form. Uh, well, the last Just after the last podcast we did. And then an absolute stormer at Prenton Park on Friday night, an absolute classic of a game, has seemingly put you back on the right track. Am I right in saying that? Um, no comment. <laughs> I um, after after the last podcast, I think it came on. I was a little bit um, maybe overexcited by the situation we found ourselves in, and forgot that we had about sixteen games still to play. Obviously, after that, as you've as you've just alluded to, Matt, we we went on a, an absolute stinker of runner form. I think it was five or six consecutive. Uh, defeats I think it was five um, and we, we genuinely looked like A, we'd never seen each other um, and B, they had no idea what a football was um, I mean we were storing some bizarre results of so the 4-2 at uh, Newport the 3-2 at Northampton I made up the results the wrong way around there but going and storing goals and um, how the hell we stored in those those games I really do not know um, like literally fumbling the ball over the line but we 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 kind of looked like we'd we'd fallen apart and in a in a you know a, a historic manner done a tramia, um. But that being said, the game on Friday night, as as Mickey said in his his press conference afterwards, it was a must win game. Um, he didn't kind of allude to that at all in the build up. I think he's he's more experienced than to you know he knows better than to to do that and put the pressure on the players but um it was no secret that that was an absolute must win and then obviously from friday down into last night's game again that became a must win um we've got nine games left now and i think for us to be seriously challenging for top 3 I'd probably be saying six or seven wins at least probably seven um a draw and a loss i think would kind of guarantee it not got an easy run in we've got um Obviously Sutton who are up and around there. We've got Exeter who are who are up and around there. And then as Jimmy said before, we've got we've still got to play Oldham, Leighton Orient and Stevenage who are all fighting at the bottom. Um so really you want it wrapped up for them one way or another, really, before we play them. Um I think they're gonna have as much to fight for, if not more than us. Um so I think that'll that'll very much become a case of who wants it more. Um but we're we're definitely back in the, the running. I think Jimmy will will probably talk you through Friday night a, a little bit more. Um he was certainly wide awake and breathing well by the end of it, wasn't he, Jimmy? Um but you know that that was a real turning point and I think we we've conceded a lot of goals late on the Port Vale game the other week. You know, there's been a few games and you think it's really knocked the stuffing out of us. So to to go and get a ninety fifth minute winner, I think that kind of may have put us back on track, but I don't want to speak too soon. 
if we do, you're going up. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm calling it. <laughs> might be a, might be a Wembley trip, but you never know. You never know. Go on, Jim. Do you reckon you air the same same thoughts as Well, um, all I'll say is it looks like to me Fortress Prentonia is ever so slightly being rebuilt. Um, after the Port Vale game, that absolutely. I mean, Port Vale played well. I thought a couple weeks ago. But last minute equalizer for Vale, a very emotional day for them with the I think the manager's mum had passed away or something, hadn't she? And I came away from the ground, we all came away from the ground, the, the Rovers players were on the floor at the full time whistle. And the poor Vale fans were still in full voice as if they'd won the league. And you're thinking, that's deflated the the whole squad that we were seconds away from winning a game against a a good side, a playoff challenging side. Why can't we seem to beat the, the top end teams? And then obviously the away form going into you know you're going into the Newport and Northampton fixtures you're thinking take two points away from those two got utterly battered lucky to have got goals back to be honest in both games particularly Northampton from the looks of it looks like Northampton came out absolutely hammered us and then two very fortunate goals back late on one of which I'm convinced wasn't a penalty for um, Kane Hemmings to be honest with you but you know you take a little bit of luck if it ends up going up on goal difference then we'll take it. But Friday night was was weird in that obviously Friday night on the lights of Prenton Park, anyone from the, the Paradise Peninsula knows it's always a big deal. Always get a bit of a bigger crowd in, especially when you've got no Liverpool or Everton at home. Well, Liverpool played, you know, Saturday, early Saturday, Everton were at home, Sunday as we'll get allude to. So there was a big crowd in and Mansfield, to be to their credit, brought a lot up from East Midlands, you know, considering it's a Friday night, it wasn't the nicest night. They brought a good, what you reckon, thousand with them up, probably more. You know, well-supported club at this level, fair play to them. And um, I think it started off brilliantly, Peter Clark inside five minutes, the evergreen Peter Clark, I think, as he's now known, um, with his trademark header from a set piece. Um, to be honest with you, it was down the far end, so as you know, if you're at the cop end, you can't really see much of what goes on down the cow sheds. You can't really judge distances and whatnot, but it looked like a good goal, good header from the um, from the replay looking back. And then all was all right. It was a bit to and fro. They looked like they could attack a bit, the Mansfield, until literally a few injuries, a few people going down at, you know, first half, ended up with six minutes being added on at half time, which we were surprised by because we thought the ref had add on, you know, it all at the end of the game. Anyway, six minutes added into our first half's injury time. Matty Longstaff goes and scores at the tightest of angles past Joe Murphy. That's Matty Longstaff, by the way, of Newcastle, Sean Longstaff fame. I Go did on, I did read that and thought, that's not the Matty Longstaff. No, and, it is the very is the Matty ginger Matty Longstaff so, playing for... Which is the Longstaff who scored against United? Is that him? Or is that him, Sean? I think that's, I think that's Sean, oh. I don't know. Was that Sean? Matty I... has played Premier League, but not very often. I think not as much as Sean has. Yeah, I think Sean I was the... Apologies, Matt, if you end with this. The better of the Longstaff brothers. I think, sure, I think the fact that Sean's playing for Newcastle alongside Bruno Gomares and Matty Longstaff's playing alongside some lad from the pub, then, nah, it's a bit harsh on Mansfield, to be fair. They have got some quite big players in their side. Got Rousseau up front, who's a bit of a handy striker for Hartlepool last season. Um, Stephen Quinn, who's been there with like, Sheffield United, um, and some other players as well. But Longstaff scored. And then, right. I've got a bit of a factoid. I did a bit of research at half-time. Because you go into, the, go into the standard half-time, I thought, Peter Clark's 40. Matty Longstaff's, what, about 17, 18, maybe? And I thought, there's got to be a 
fun fact. There's got to be something. Uh, it's 21, I tell a lie, sorry. But there's got to be something you can do with this information. Sure enough, Peter Clark and Matty Longstaff scored on Friday night the same game. Back in 2007, August 2007, Leeds beat Southend in a League One fixture, 4-1 at Ellen Road. Peter Clark played for Southend that day. And in the third minute of the game for Leeds, Alan Thompson scored for Leeds United. Now, Alan Thompson, turns out, is the cousin of Matty and Sean Longstaff's dad. I'd tell you what, you don't get facts like that on any other podcast, that is, guys. I mean, that's, that's beat the yeah. uh, six degrees of separation Keith Hill, that has. It goes to show how long Peter Clark's been playing for, and also it goes to show that he does not like playing against that particular family. Um... I can't wait for them to have to uh, act that out on the charades round of a question of sport in a few years' time. That'll be absolutely hilarious. Hey, it's not its not the only <laughs> thing I learned over oh, the weekend in terms Jesus. of random fo- fa- football factoids. Believe me, I've got a few up here now. Oh, Christ. Well, so basically, you've come up with a game that's like football family feuds or something there, haven't you? Yeah. I was hoping, to be honest, I was hoping there'd be a Peter Clark v. Alan Thompson game, Villa v. Everton in like 2000, but there was no crossover there, unfortunately. So, so basically, you come up with the football equivalent quiz of Only Connect, which is nigh on impossible to win. I basically have done it. I basically, in, in a 15-minute research period on Tramia's dodgy 4G at half-time, I managed to come up with the most obscure stat that no one's ever going to care about, judging by the fact that I put it out on Twitter. And the only response I got was, Peter Clark's still playing. I remember him away at Shrewsbury in the FA Cup when we lost. And I was like, ah, yeah. Forgot he played that game. Gave it off the Everton Twitter PTSD. So, back to the uh, the Mansfield game. All seemingly going well. 2-1 up. Second half. Seemingly on for the win. And then chaos, from what I gather, for the last 10 minutes. And then Tramia happened. We conceded in the last minute again. And then Tramia happened again. Um, I just kind of reversing back a little bit there to the to the two one. Uh, I think a special mention needs to go to Elliot Nevert, um, who is quickly becoming our arguably biggest goal threat. Um, Paul Glatzel unfortunately went off with what looked to be a, a hamstring injury. He's, he's now been ruled out for the season. I feel very sorry for the lad. He's a, you know he's a young lad trying to play his trade. He's come on loan from Liverpool and he he does seem to be quite injury prone. Um, he he came off and it seemed to be that it was Nevert's chance to kind of not prove himself, but a, you know a potential to set a little bit of a, a run in the squad. Um, Obviously, he signed for us from Warrington Ryland in the summer, which for, for anyone who doesn't know is probably about six or seven divisions below where we're playing. Um, prolific for them, but a completely different level. I think he was a, a carpet fitter or carpet cleaner or something. Um, and he was also working on the production line in Jadua. Um, so, you know, a, a completely different way of life, a big gamble for us to take him take him on the way that we did. Um, but he, he's starting to pay dividends to, to why we did. He's lost nigh on two stone. Uh, since we signed him and uh, I was saying to Jimmy and Jimmy was saying to me when he, he came on he looks a completely different player um, I don't think I've ever seen someone he's, he's probably 6 foot 2 maybe something like that quite a quite a big built lad strong lad his pace is unbelievable When he de- if there's a ball there to chase 
you, you're not beating them to it. Um, and it, it, the ball three from uh, Warrington, the lad that we've got on loan from Everton, who again has been sublime. Um, the ball through to him and just a, a real calm, cool, composed finish. Um, a, a finish really that you'd expect from the likes of Hemmings, like a, a more seasoned pro. And then the, the third, which very nearly killed Jimmy off, which we'll come on to in a second. Um, just, uh, you know, lovely little ball through to him. And I don't think anyone else on the pitch would have done what he did. He, he didn't have the handle for the shot. Took two or three little touches in and just there was literally a ball width to let the shot through. And I, I've never seen someone hit a ball so sweetly. If he'd hit it wrong, you know, the 7,000 odd that were in attendance are on his back. Um, and just an absolute thunderbolt. There could have been three goalkeepers. No one saving that. But I'll, uh, I'll hand over to Jimmy, who I think maybe wheezing still slightly, but we'll... Uh, We'll see if he can get his words out. Yeah. Um, oh, there's not many games I've come back from, and it's been like, that's going to live long in the memory. There's, there's been long times I've been in genuine limbs, and um, the fact that there were strangers hugging, that that's that's a rarity, you know, especially with COVID, isn't that? Obviously rarity, but... I remember the ball at the back of the net going absolutely mental and then realising I can't breathe here. Because obviously I haven't had COVID over the half term. My asthma's come back with a bit of a vengeance. I'm usually quite, I'm usually all right. But when you've scored two fairly late goals, you've had to go through the drama of all that. Uh, I just ended up sitting, he's off, deck's off halfway down the stairwell. About to hug a steward or something, I don't know. Um, there's guys behind me trying to grab me and hug me. There's people to the left and right of me just going absolutely insane. I had to sit down in my seat for a moment. I had to sit down. Everyone else is going absolutely off it. And I'm like wheezing away. Point where there's a there's a couple next to me. And I'm looking across going, you all right there? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. It's not a vape. I'm just asthmatic, honest. I wouldn't mind, but I taught their son in school a couple of years ago. So they were like, you all right there, sir? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Just there. Uh, just can't cope with the COVID. By the way, that's kind of you coughing your lungs out. I just got visions of you absolutely coughing your guts out. I was just like, yeah, <laughs> limbs is around. Fine, you. honest. I won't like, give the full sound effects. It wasn't very pleasant. But I was like, I just my chest just went really tight, and I just could not like breathe at all. So I had to literally. I've, it's it's never before have I had to celebrate a goal with my inhaler. Let's put it that way. Um, but that I, really is something. I think that's it's a good job. It's a good job that I have one of those nebulizers where you got to like construct it like a you know a sniper rifle type thing. Because I don't think I've been able to allow to take that into the ground in my front pocket. But um, well, there's somebody else that um, yeah. managed to sneak. Well, keep something in their pocket. Oh about... yeah, speaking of keeping stuff in your pockets. What what did you accidentally yeah. keep in your pocket, there, Declan? Go on. Uh, nothing, nothing too offensive. Just a, a set of darts that I discovered I had last night as I walked through the turnstile. But. Uh, Luckily, I didn't need to use them. Um. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Palios, if you're listening to this podcast on the off chance, he's been bringing contraband into the stadium. Ban him. Ban him. I mean, I think like half-time bullseye, why not? Get, you know, that's get, a get, shit get cross, a bullet. the crossbar get challenge. Bullet. It's, it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Darts challenge at half-time, get a bully out. Laughing. Or could you win a speedboat? <clears throat> The Palios has got that kind of budget? Probably not. <laughs> Maybe no, an inflatable a story. <laughs> At a push, yeah. But I think that's one of those stories. I think it, it's very... Football for me at the moment has been a bit of an odd entity because I'm not really enjoying watching it from a personal point of view because for reasons we will go on to in a second. 
But I think it's good when and I, I watched the highlights back of that at the uh, Mansfield game, and it was a hell of a goal in the last minute. And I think it kind of reaffirms your love for the game. It reaffirms the reasons why you go, you pay, you know, whatever, whatever you pay for each game. And for some weeks it might be god awful. For some weeks you might turn up and it's a terrible game of football. You know, there might be games where I, th- I can't remember who you played recently where it was a massive game. It was like the crowd was in about eleven, twelve thousand, and they got absolutely battered. And it's those kind of moments where you could, you just think, yeah, I'm glad I stick through this thick and thin. You know, going in week in week out. But yeah, it was, it was it, as funny a story it is to obviously think about Jimmy collapsed in Hang the on, cop end. Did you say thick and thin? It's yeah. Everton, Trammy and Rochdale. It's thin and thinner, surely. All right, thin and thinner. <laughs> Thinish. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a generally a really good game to watch. And then obviously, then last night, Harrogate Town come to town and uh, get easily dismissed. From what well, I gather, a few of them did anyway. So go on, talk us through the Harrogate game. They were dirty, weren't they? <laughs> they were dirty. Yeah. Sorry, I I really enjoyed watching the Harrogate side when I went up there on Tuesday night back in October. I thought they were going to be up there at the end of the season. I thought they were a good side. They missed um, the captain, Falkingham, in midfield. And the lad, Muldoon, was on the bench, which I didn't... I don't. I haven't, obviously, I can't say I've watched a lot of Harrogate. If any Harrogate fans want to let me know why Simon Weaver didn't start with Jack Muldoon in the side, I don't know. Because to me, he's one of their best players. They look very... Well, physical is what you're going to expect from any side in this league, but too much so, as if like they seemed a little too happy to play for a point. And it showed in the end that Luke Armstrong, the uh, number 29, the centre-forward, got two bookings in two minutes, one for a horrendous scraping tackle down the back of Tom Davis' his leg. Not that Tom Davis, the Tramier one. A um, bit weird if he turned up. And um, literally did... We did not beat if he was Clark, playing literally for Literally elbowed Peter Clark. Pardon? Uh, yeah, no, it was Clark. I was saying if uh, Everton's Tom Davis had turned up, he would have been beat. <laughs> well, he wouldn't have gone on a team ahead of Lewis Warrington, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, but it's one of those where Peter Clark, you know, you you see Peter Clark and you the dark art he produces, and he's an absolute mountain, and you do not mess. What possessed Luke Armstrong in a bucket to try and elbow Peter Clark is beyond me because uh, you wouldn't want to meet Clark. He'd been a dark alley or even a lit one, to be perfectly fair. Scary, scary man. You can't wash your shorts properly. He seems to have blue shorts every time he plays. But, um, you know, don't tell him I said that. But, yeah, and it was like what, brain dead from Armstrong. And I think that changed the dynamic of the game entirely. Well, it would do. You lose a man. We're, like, celebrating, thinking, ah, oh, you're dirty, so-and-so. Off you go. And then we're thinking, we're going to break these down still, though. And they were, you know, the full-backs, I thought, for them last night, Harrogate, were really good. But on the same token, I thought... Um, Callum McDonald, left-back, was solid, absolutely solid, to the point where, you know, I've even seen a comment today on com- commenting on our current world affairs. If Vladimir Putin does try any sort of weaponry, shall we say, it's fine, because um, Callum McDonald's just going to intercept it. But uh, the point still stands that I think got the, got the job done in a scrappy game, could have been more, yeah, but I think if Harrogate had kept Armstrong on, they would have got at least one or two themselves because there's a few hairy moments in the back still. But a clean sheet, and that's something Trammy Rovers have been largely allergic to recently. So that's, you know, winning a clean sheet against a, a tough physical side in, you know, a game that we could have slipped up and had in the past slipped up on. 
Yeah, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there, Jimmy. Um, I think alluding to that that clean sheet, uh, a big call from Mellon with the the Friday night game and again last night. Um, a little bit of squad rotation and getting Joe Murphy back in there ahead of the young Ross doing. Um, who by the way I think in the future is is going to be a fantastic goalkeeper, but I just feel the last couple of games maybe not as commanding as he should have been. Um, you know, the defence in front of him has been a little bit wobbly and I think just that um the idea or the concept of getting that, you know, slightly more experienced, not necessarily dependable, but you know, more experienced and a little bit more know how um goalkeeper behind the, the back four has made a little bit of a difference as well. Um a little bit quicker with the distribution, helping us to get the ball out wide, breaking teams on the attack. Um Harrod had definitely done the research, as you say, their full backs had both had very good games. Um, we were talking about, you know, potentially swapping Hawks and McPake over and giving them something to think about. Um, obviously, when McManaman came on towards the back end of the game, he got stuck in again. Dave, you know, I, I thought he he played well the last sort of twenty minutes or so that he came on. He, he put a shift in. Um, his his kind of application the last few games has been questionable to say the least. But I think he came on and kind of proved that he he has got something to offer, which which was good. Um, as we said, that the clean sheet was massive. But just going back to what you were saying, their their tactics. I think from minute one, yes, they did try and play. Uh, good genuine football but out of possession I'd, I'd go as far as to say there was intent behind some of the challenges there was some real nasty take the red card out of out of it um, there were a few particularly second half um, when we went 2-0 up we were saying about taking the likes of Neverton that off because you could see the little stamps and the little um, stripes going in one went in on McPake who could only have been five yards in front of the linesman and he took a full you know set of studs over the top of his foot um, and I, you know I don't care what some of the you know the top Premiership sides do in terms of practice and simulation. There's no way you could fake that kind of reaction. You could you could see the pain in him and just waved on. Some of the things that were missed last night were were laughable. Um, I think that the only two decisions he got right was the was the penalty, which was blatant. Um, looking back at the replay, I think it was more blatant than it was. Uh, in the moment, Tom Davis has gone up for a header from a corner and he's literally been hauled down two full handfuls of shirts and just pulled to the ground out of, out of thin air. Um, and their lads were contesting it as though he'd, he'd dived. Um, so some some bizarre things last night, but there was there was intent from them last night. Even little tactics like stamping the penalty spot and trying to, you know, disrupt the pitch and, you know, just, yeah, showing, showing the colours a little bit maybe that they're starting to feel a little bit out of the depth in this league. I think one of the moments of last night, though, was um, when Harrogate's about 30 fans that turned up on a skateboard um, started singing 2-0 to the referee. And we're all in the cop going, what? What are they on about? They've been the dirtiest team we've seen. The point where Joe Murphy turned round in the goal, in the cowshed's goal, looked up and was like, are you serious? Because the ref did not have a good game for either side. He only gave like to accept the decision for the red card and the penalty that was worth its salt because you couldn't not you know anyone like a newborn baby could give that decision it was so blatant he honestly god he missed out on so many dark arts from and i'm gonna be fair from both sides admittedly but like you say trying to divot the penalty spot whilst arguing with the referee over the penalty decision whilst kate hammonds is waiting to take the penalty little just arsy things like that tom thompson the number seven in midfield Literally losing his head for the last 20 minutes. Ramson raving, kicking off like an absolute, you know, like a toddler. And nothing got, I think he got booked in the end, but nothing really, you know, came of it when he was really out of order with the way he was behaving. 
there were some really nasty tactics going on the ref. I don't think all the linesmen, for that matter, had a particularly wonderful game. So the idea they were chatting like the referee, you know, one was giving us the win. Well, he he gave us the bare minimum considering how horrible they were. Yeah, is that something looks... you're gonna? Sorry, Matt. Sorry, go on. Go on. No, no. Is, that, ahead, say, is that something you're gonna? Is that something you're gonna look to expect being fighting for that promotion place? You're gonna get teams coming to Brenton Park, just doing whatever they can to get to get a result, basically. Yeah, I think um, looking at our stats from from our home fixtures, I was looking earlier on, but the the stats are out of my head now. We've we've lost very very few at home. Uh, if I just add it up quickly, so nineteen home games, won fourteen, drawn one, lost four. Um, that to me is is championship winning the league material and form, but our away form we've picked up nineteen points all season in eighteen games. So it's the even if we had an average away form, um, I think I think we'd be well up there. Um, but just kind of going back to the officials and as you say, you know tactics and stuff from from visiting teams, especially in the coming weeks with teams who have got things to play for, um, particularly down the other end of the table as as much as the teams around us. I think last night we went back to what we were maybe doing just before Jay Spearing got injured. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that when Spearing went out of the squad that the form dipped and that's when we went on that really bad run of form. A lot of long ball, completely missing the midfield out. But between the likes of him, um, Clark, Tom Davis, um, Joe Murphy, obviously over the last couple of couple of games as well, those experienced heads. I'm not talking about being in the referee's face every two minutes for decisions and asking for players to be booked and whatnot. But just getting in their ear a little bit, I think we've we've kind of not obviously the last two games, but on that that kind of bad run, we went back to that being too honest, um, maybe not getting stuck in as much as we should have done, a little bit scared of the tackle, you know, if something doesn't go our way, we kind of shrug it off. Last night, um, obviously there was there was the booking against Davis um, for the the tackle that went in on him, and when he was walking back down the sideline to obviously come back on after receiving treatment, he's going at the liner, he's going at the fourth official. Clark went over and had words with their bench, just you know making it really obvious as to what's going on. We're not talking about simulation, but when you've got referees of this standard at our level, um, I think you've got to make it overtly clear as to what's going on. So I, I think if we can keep doing that. Um, you know, you, you don't want to be going up on dodgy penalties and playing against nine men every week. But I, I do think that kind of dark heart and that little bit of experience, I think, could um, really play into our hands the next few few days uh, and games. As you say, Matt, with with teams coming up against us, knowing that we're we're in that push and doing everything that they can to stop us. I mean, on the standard of officiating, I mean, we could talk about VAR in the Premier League for until the cows come home. Again, I. I throw this out to you guys you watch obviously a lot more lower league football than I do is it is there a gulf in the quality between let's say you know, Premier League Championship down to sort of League 2 I mean it was quite a, a bit of a running joke I understand when you guys were in the National League about some of the hilarious decisions that were coming out of it I mean the likes of I mean Greg obviously I'm not quite sure what your opinions are of it are is it is a huge difference compared to the help that they obviously don't get because of the lack of uh, the VAR that's in there I think it was last season we had some absolute shocking decisions go against us. Like um, I can't I can't remember we were playing away game and Stephen Humphreys, somebody just literally kicked him in his chest and he went flying, and there were no nothing and there were things like that that kept happening. 
there's not been that many this year. There's not many where we're absolutely screaming out for a penalty or, my word, how's that not been given and things like that. It's been pretty, like, again, inconsistent, but not like to the point of when we were in League One, it was bloody awful. Um, and I think there's, um, I may have mentioned this before, that like the first VAR game that I can remember was Rochdale against Tottenham, and that was mental. They couldn't get it right then, and they couldn't get it right now. We're talking like three or three and a half years ago or something like that, that particular game at Wembley where it was Son had that penalty. I don't know if any of you guys remember that. And then Son had to retake the penalty, missed it, and all this kind of stuff, and then VAR. And, but I can remember last season being bloody awful for, like, my word, the referee's awful. But this season it's just inconsistent. I don't know about Deck and Jimmy's thoughts on that particular referee in League Two. Uh, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think, obviously, we were, I was going to use the word blessed then, <laughs> unfortunate enough, obviously, to fall out of the league for those few years. Um, I think it was very clear that the National League at that stage, I can't comment on it now, but the National League was definitely being used as kind of a almost work experience for referees starting to push up into the football league. It was also well reported that if a referee had, you know, a, a particular spell of bad games, that they were being demoted from, you know, Championship League One games down to the National League. To me, you know, in in my line of work, obviously I'm I'm in the education uh, sector as a teacher. If I had a really bad year teaching year five or six, would you drop me into teaching year one or reception that's to me that's not how it works if you don't do the job well you you just don't do the job you know I'm, I'm not saying for referees to be sacked but there should certainly be you know a thing of if you're consistently missing this or bad performances surely there's a training thing that you go back on or you know you basically go back to school you learn how to to redo it and you're trained Um I think we all kind of forget at times when we're when we're you know in the moment as you were saying before Greg that you know, hearing things from other fans and, and looking at it from another perspective. I think we're all guilty of when we've been at matches, we forget that referees are human, of course we do. At the premiership level and at the top flight level, it's infuriating that they don't use the technology that they have there for them for some decisions and yet other decisions that you kind of think, you know, is that clear and obvious or whatever, you know, whatever the term is? No, it's not. So why is it being given? Because that, that's kind of why it came in. But at our level, just some of the, you know, some of the, like last night, he seemed to have completely lost the game at one point. The number, I think he he touched the ball three or four times, um, you know, just really silly things where you think that you you should not be in the line of that pass um you know li- literally stood within two yards of the player with the ball and go into it as well you know things like that and you just think you, you, you're not at that kind of level um just before I pass over to jimmy there was one occasion with um a referee when we were in the the national league and the the referee actually approached mark palios after the game and turned around and said, so Mark, how do you think I did? And was basically asked him for a report from Mark, and basically saying, you know, it's my first first game at this level, how do you think I did? And just, yeah, kind of not unprofessional, but not not what you would expect from, from referees. I think there is a massive gulf. Um, I'm all for Mike Dean coming on as fourth official referee, linesman, whatever for us at every given opportunity. That's happened a couple of times for us this season. Um, I think he might might have a helping hand in getting us promoted. But yeah, a massive gulf. Uh, Jimmy? 
Well, I was listening to something to Ellie on the radio, and I think there is a genuine problem in this country, particularly with refereeing right through the pyramid from top to bottom, um, right through to youth football. Obviously, in the very youngest, you're under seven and eight, we have the coaches and the dads referee the game, which is fine, because it doesn't need to be a qualified ref, particularly for that age. But somebody come up with an idea, which I think has been put into motion a bit now, is that young footballers who go through academies and stuff um, that don't quite make it, why not give them a route into the game, back into the game, with a decent earner as a referee? Because they've already got the knowledge of playing at a decent level, so they've got the fitness, they've got the positioning, because, like you say, the ref last night kept getting his positions where he was intercepting the ball, which anyone with half a footballing brain, you know, you know where to be and what position to be in in the style of play, but also, conversely, you'll know where not to be as well as a referee. And I think a lot of referees tend to be, I hope people that I'm saying, tend to be older gentlemen, where they haven't got the fitness to keep up with literally professional athletes. They haven't got the speed. They haven't got the speed of thought necessarily. And the more experienced you are as a ref, as great as that is, you miss so much, whereas I think with younger lads, whilst they may not necessarily command the respect, at first, if you've got some 20-year-old lad coming on referee in a Premier League game against seasoned professionals, and he might feel a bit daunted, but I don't know, I just think there needs to be more done to get either young lads or potentially ex-pros as, as referees, but whether that's an option they take up compared to being coaching or punditry. I just feel like more needs to be done whereby play it. People who've had, you know, the fact that managers, you look at managers and go, well, what's their playing experience before they become a manager? Well, referees, what? You go on a few training courses, we could all in theory become referees if we do the, if we do our badges. And as 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 aware if we are of the game, get us on that pitch. We're not going to be at the same level of fitness as somebody who's played the game to a decent standard. So we can criticise all we want, and fair enough, we we do because they're paid to do a job, but why don't we just get better trained or more athletic people in the job? I, 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 it's just an idea, but I'm sure more, I'm sure something has been done about it, I'm sure of that. I think that's a good shot. I mean, I, I would definitely, it, it's a thankless job refereeing, and I think I liken it to being, I mean, I know we have two people who work in the education industry on this call, I liken it to that element of it's got its perks, I'm sure, but it comes with a high amount of scrutiny that we see it where, you know, I think it was Mike Dean, I think was on, I think it was Jake Humphrey's podcast, I want to say it was, but don't quote me on it. And the discussion came up about interviews after the game. And he said, well, uh, no, sorry, it wasn't Jake Humphrey, I'm talking rubbish. It was Tubes, who used to be on Soccer AM. It was a YouTube channel. Um, and his response was, yes, that's absolutely fine, but what about the games where nothing goes wrong? Do you want to hear from us then? And I get his point. I do understand his point. They'd only be rolled out when there was some contentious decision that came out of nowhere. I mean, we've had it recently with Everton, which we'll go on to in a second. Um, it's a tough argument. And I think also for those, the players, would they want to go into it? Because you hear horror stories. I read something the other day. There was a, I think the lab was 17, referee in a Sunday league game and got assaulted because of a decision that the other team didn't like and he said they go well that's just setting the bad precedence is it more really that albeit the decisions aren't particularly great is the onus on the players to actually show the respect and to at least honor the fact that the whoever is in charge of the game like in rugby like in cricket is all that situations is there more that could be done from the player's side of things 
Um, I think you're absolutely right there, Matt. And I think another contributing factor to it, even in you know my relatively short lifetime and the, the, the development of the game at all levels, I think football now is becoming such a sport of fine margins. Um, rule changes, always favouring the attacker, goalkeepers overprotected, etc. I think that that doesn't help either. I think one of the, the, if you were playing keyword bingo, sat around myself and Jimmy and my dad and that at the football, we asked for consistency and that that's all we asked for. And I think that that's what's missing. I think it's not necessarily that the standard of refereeing is getting any worse. I think it's the consistency and, as you say, the play acting from players or the, you know, I know I was calling for it earlier on from Rovers purely from a, you know, a selfish point of view, but that kind of getting in the officials' ear and your experienced players and I think there's a difference in that and obviously your simulation and trying to, you know, make things happen that haven't and so on, but I think as the game's becoming more of a fine margin and even players at our level who are, you know, they are athletes, um, you know, the, the the fine margins literally being offside by two or three inches rather than five or six feet, as they would have been a couple of years ago, because of how quick centre backs are becoming and so and so on and so forth. I think the game almost needs to take a, a backward step, not in terms of the level and quality, but you know, some of the rules that are, that are in place, the rules that infuriate the fans, things like if a player is booked for a foul, why does the person who's being treated need to go off? Um, you know, things like playing advantage or how how slow there was an incident last night where um the the offside flag went up play went on for about 10 seconds and i think o'connor put a crunch and tackling on their center forward now if i was a harrogate fan and he got injured in that that to me is a free hit for for our lads because the offside's been given he can foul them all he wants he could assault him off the ball he might pick a booking up but you're not going to get a penalty for it you know things like that why is there such a delay um which never seemed to used to be there I think that the rules need simplifying and I think the game needs to kind of take a bit more of a a backward step in that regard and I think that would assist the referees a lot more and I think it would kind of settle the fans in terms of right we we actually know that rule now rather than you know we're on the 79th version of the offside rule since the turn of January and we're on just rein it back a little bit in in my opinion in, in combination with what you're saying with that kind of greater respect from the players. Yes, it's a tough argument, isn't it? I mean, you know, you look at the Premier League last, even this year, but they've been drawing the lines on the pitch. I think it needs to go to a certain extent of, look, if it's clear, I, why the rule isn't in place where if all the player isn't beyond the defender, then it's offside. It just seems completely obvious to me. Give the attacker that element of, you know, their benefit of the doubt that they're at least level to a certain extent. And there's somewhere it's it's millimeters in it. It must be hardly anything anything in it. And it VR was supposed to you know take these decisions out of the game and it's bringing it in and causing more scrutiny. And it is just a, a difficult situation for them to be in. And I do I have a little bit of sympathy for any referee that comes in because I agree. You know we've had decisions against us. We've had decisions for us. It's the, you know it's what happens in football. And I think that's what makes the game what it is. But I do think more can be done from the player side of things to show that they got the respect in those situations. I mean, you see, you know, a similar, uh, Atletico Madrid last night against Man United. Atletico were the king of shithousery. They are Simeone. I love the man. He's so funny. But they know what to do, especially when it comes in Champions League games. They get they get the fans against them. They get they do the little things, the little situations, and it puts pressure 
on the referee to keep it consistent. And that's tough. That's, you know, any game, you know, if you look at height, a big game of mass importance where we've got, you know, City playing Liverpool in a couple of weeks. It's a massive game. Would you want to be the referee who has to make a decision? Let's say if, you know, it's a 93rd minute, Salah goes down in the box and it's a contentious penalty. I don't want to make that call in a million years, but for the, the referees that do and are willing to put themselves forward, I've got to admire that. Go on, Jim. I'll tell you who would be willing to make a decision in that situation. Chris Kavanagh. The Mancunian. The, I think, is he a Manchester City supporter? Allegedly. Who refereed the game of the other week? Allegedly. Sorry, allegedly. Okay. Why is it, and for all we can say about refereeing, why is it that they're letting referees from local areas referee teams that are from that city or town of birth when there's clear and inherent bias there. I get there's only so many refs from so many parts of the country, but no way should a referee from Manchester be refereeing a team from Manchester who are in the midst of a title race and certainly shouldn't be in charge of giving decisions, which were definitely handball. Well, this is the point. Is, is it an issue where because of the scrutiny that referees are under, there's just not many people willing to do it and they're having to pick the best of the what's available available to them. There's, there's a lot of different factors that come into it. I mean, that the handball against Rotary was... Uh, for, even I could see... I mean, I, it's very different, so we can see it from a television screen. But in real time, I went, he's just punched that. I swear he's just punched it towards Gladys Street. Um, and those things can decide a season, ultimately. Who knows? But, I don't know. It's It's a discussion we could have for, you know hours about refereeing decisions and I'm very conscious we need to move on but go on Greg uh, sorry deck even last point uh, yeah sorry last point um, just kind of from what you've said there I think um, as well could it be a point to you know you go back to your your, um, your big name referees of maybe 15 years ago that we're, we're probably kind of comparing against at the minute you know 15 20 years ago that man there on screen his name his name uh, surpasses me <laughs> Kalina, wasn't it? Kalina, yeah. yeah. Why, why did Jim um, put the middle finger up? What, what? what? Oh, Greg, why? Okay, quick story. Story time. Um, we played right. Villarreal in a Champions League qualifier in 2005, I want to say it was. Um, we What score was the first leg? Was it one all? Two all? Two all, was it? Um, and Duncan Ferguson... Two ones of Villarreal. Two ones, sorry. Two one. right, okay. Uh, we scored... It was one all, I think, in the return of what we won the lot. I can't remember the story either way. Long story short, Doug Ferguson scored what I can only describe as a cracking header um, at the Villa, in Villarreal. Uh, that which, would have taken us extra time. It certainly would. Extra time would have maybe given us a chance of going through, um, and it was ruled out for a foul, which, having looked back at it since, I cannot see where that's come from. And he was the referee, right? He was the referee. Gosh. There's I'll also a conspiracy about this as well, but go on, Jim, you can tell the conspiracy part of it. Okay. Lina had previously retired the previous season. He came out of retirement for that game. What? And that... I think, and I've said this many times before, UEFA didn't want five English sides in the Champions League group stage that season. Because don't forget, we came fourth the year before, got into the qualifiers... Liverpool won it but came fifth. They had to start in the very first qualifying round. It was that weird season when no one had worked out what to do with the winners if they didn't finish in the top four positions in the league. 
So ultimately, we ended up with five teams in the Champions League at some stage. Obviously, Liverpool going to get through against whoever they were playing in the third qualifying round. We got given probably the second hardest draw we could have done, which is fair enough. We were unseeded. And there's nothing to suggest we would have got through that night. But we would have got to extra time if that, if that had counted as it should have done. We'd have come back from one down to two, one on the night, three, three on aggregate. We could have gone through. But the fact that it was just allowed for nothing and then Villarreal literally went down the other end and scored because we were absolutely deflated by then and killed it off. Um, we've never, ever... We, we like to hold the grudge at Goodison. We really do. Um, there's no, not a lot else to we? hold on to. There's no trophies to hold on to. So, I mean, we might as well hold on to something. Um, so, we've held on to that grudge now for, what, over 15 years? And maintained there was some kind of conspiracy to stop... At, Five English sides in the Champions League group stage, allegedly. No, it's it, that that is the case. Calling it, it's one hundred percent true. I do, I do remember this game. I just couldn't remember any of that happening. I remember you playing Villarreal and not going through. But I'm going to have to go on YouTube and watch the rest of this tonight just to confirm your um, theory. I think there. Go on, Deck. <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah, just to go back to like the original point, obviously, before we move on to Everton and probably spill over nine podcasts on Spotify or, or whatever we'll split this up into. But um, as, as I was saying, going back to those kind of like golden years, obviously take that, you know, game out of it. But, um, you know, you kind of like 2002 World Cup. And so, you know, kind of like a, quite a high for, for English football. Um, is it that, one that the the amount of technology now that you know the number of cameras around the pits the amount of as you say like your VAR and so on and so forth has that spoiled it has that made referees almost too accountable and has it now gone past the point where the referee on the pitch is in charge of the game at the higher levels it wouldn't solve any kind of issues at our level I think we've always got to kind of appreciate that if we're at a lower level and you know the players are of a lower level there's going to be mistakes in the officiating. But is it a thing of that maybe the referees, I say back in the day, like, you know, pre-war, we're not, you know, we're talking 90s, noughties and so on. Is it just that what the referees said kind of went and yet there were controversial decisions and that just added to the game? Is it a thing of that we need to kind of accept that VAR, yeah, it may have made the game more fair, but has it spoiled the game? Is it taken away from what it initially was. I, I, I know I've done a whole circle here. I've just said about five minutes ago about how much it helps and so on, but actually, in, in retrospect, is it is it useful? Is it? I know this is probably a completely different podcast, but you know, I, th- I think that probably doesn't help us, certainly in the top level, the, the abuse that referees get and so on. You know yourself, you can be in a, in a ground, there's a decision, and within 30 seconds, you've got a better view of it on your mobile phone than the ref had from 25 yards, 30 yards away. You know, is it a thing of that we take a backward step with that and go, right, look, we've looked, we've tried it. Yeah, it helps here and there, but actually on the whole, let's let's drop it. I don't know. Probably open the can of worms that we can do a, a Christmas special on or something. But um, yeah, just a, a little bit of food for thought, maybe. I think my point on VAR is always the point of view of it's, I've got no issue with VAR. I, I think it's a good addition to the day, to the game even. I think what it has done is it's magnified the level of officiating in this country but my ultimate issue with it is the lack of transparency that comes through it why okay difficult for the for the fan in the ground but why can't we hear the discussion between the ref and the officials of Stockley Park 
I don't understand why that. But it's all well and good them after the game coming out. You know, in I think it was after that City game, they said, "Oh yeah, you know, you know, it probably was a, a, a handball." But that's no good. We want to hear you in real time making that decision, so we can understand why the decision is being made. Um, I don't see again. It'd be difficult to do. I, there's different factors, and you've got to factor in. There's a ground of forty thousand people. Um, that would also want to hear what's going on, and it's obviously had its early teething problems. Um, but then you look at the likes of the, you know, we had the Euros and the World Cup, and I don't, what well, the Euros in particular, obviously, I don't remember there really being a massive issue with AR at the Euros. So it's not the technology is the issue; it's the people that are using the technology that appears to be the issue. And it's not often you hear about, you know, the likes of France, Spain, Germany, these countries having massive AR controversies. Maybe because we just don't hear about it as much as as we do our own game, but there are definitely things that can be improved on it. I would definitely agree on that one. Right, uh, you definitely you definitely get the uh, controversies in Serie A, but that's a podcast another time. That is absolutely a podcast. There's the yeah. multiple podcasts on Serie A. Yeah, that, that, we that, could just do one spicy. dedicated for Serie A one day. Yeah. That's a spicy subject, VAR, in Serie A. It's quite something. Anyway. Sports Social Podcast Network.